you're falling in a forest and there's nobody around do you ever really crash or even make a sound i'm not a singer <laughs> this line comes from one of my favorite musicals dear evan hansen it's actually one of the big reasons i became an advocate for suicide prevention the play talks about a young boy with anxiety disorder who yearns so much to make a connection with his peers that he fabricates a relationship with a student who committed suicide just to become closer to the boy's family. Now the whole play is a bit of a slippery slope, but it tackles really big issues like how do you handle suicide? How do you handle it as a family member, a stranger in school? How are we supposed to remember people? So this song line, when you're falling in a forest and there's nobody around, do you ever really crash or even make a sound? Comes earlier on in the play. But later on another song responds to this comment and it says, when you're falling in a forest and there is nobody around, all you need is for somebody to find you. Sometimes life can make you feel like you're falling and you don't feel like you can be helped, but you do want someone to find you. You want someone to take notice and someone to prove that you were there and you mattered. And that's when the next line in the song really grips me because it says nobody deserves to be forgotten. Nobody deserves to disappear. No one should come and go and have no one know that they were even here. No one deserves to be forgotten. You still matter. Now, I'm not a songwriter, not really much of a singer either, as you've heard, much better at paying attention to the little details. I'm a concerned little auditor and this is my podcast CPA Chanda pays attention. Now today is a very special part 2 of a three-part segment in which we're going to try and destigmatize and really get our heads around the idea of suicide just because it's suicide prevention month. We're going to talk about the realities of it and show compassion to those around us. I won't be talking much today. Instead, we have a guest speaker, Chitalu Malulu. Now, she's not actually here with us. She's on the other side of the world. And what she did was really awesome. She sent a voice recording of her story of how she survived and how she is living and striving to live and just find things to live for. I think it's a really beautiful testimony. It was really hard for me to listen to just because I've known her since I was about 10 years old, but I didn't really know all that she was going through. I, for one, would have missed her terribly if she had left, and I'm so happy she's still here to love and to cherish, which makes this testimony all the much more touching to me. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, this is her story of victory and hope, and she's lent her voice, so let's listen in and show some love. Here we go. Hi. Um, suicide. It's one of those very, uh, I don't know how to put it, but one of those things which is very, not difficult to talk about, but difficult to understand unless you've been on both sides of the spectrum. I do believe there's some people who've been blessed enough to have solid control over their minds, so they haven't had this internal battle with yourself. Yeah, that's what it is, an internal battle with yourself. Um, that's how I describe it. It's like fighting yourself, which is very difficult because you can't punch yourself. It's just madness. <sighs> but yeah, um, I just hope this encourages somebody. So the first time I tried to commit suicide was when I was seven years old. I wouldn't get into specific details, but I, yeah, 
I was seven. Just very upset, felt unloved. I think at this time my dad had just passed. The second time I was at high school and I after finishing grade twelve, this was in A levels and just things were just not going as they were before. Before A levels I was excelling at everything sport, I was expelling expelling <laughs> excelling at school. Uh, um, excelling at school I was a sports captain and then all of a sudden A-levels was hard and I don't think it was hard because the work was hard just I couldn't focus I just had so much going on emotionally and I felt trapped I felt like every time I got in my room it was just like a little cube and the window was like a little way out to freedom and which caused me, like, after the end of the first year of A levels, I can't continue. I just felt so down in the dumps. Just that I couldn't continue. I felt like a failure. I, just, I mean, I even started just focusing on sports, and yeah, we won the ISIS championship, but like, that didn't do anything for me apart from just give me a, a temporary moment of being happy, elated, feeling like I succeeded at something, and I. That's a trend I'll keep. I'll talk to you about afterwards. The third, wait. I think actually that was the third time. The second time was somewhere before that. I just felt like the world was caving in on me. Um, I felt like the closest people I had to me were trying to hurt me, and I just had nobody else. The fourth time was actually this year, January. 18th um i just felt so hopeless after graduating in 2019 um being in a distinction list student my whole degree until my final semester because my laptop crashed six weeks into semester six weeks left and i'd start my thesis again and that just racked my brain mind you at this point i've been going for four years of therapy to deal with the mental health issues I already knew I had. I was suffering from anxiety to a point where I did and I still do get physical pains in my side when I'm anxious. I don't hyperventilate right now, so that's great, but there's those times where I couldn't just hyperventilate, I couldn't breathe, I just felt like the world is closing in on me. Um Another symptom was I, I think I was depressed and I actually was given the option to test if I was clinically depressed but I thought like I would use it as a crutch. Um, I used it as a crutch in the sense that every time I was sad I'd be like I'm just depressed but it's a real thing and I, just, I chose to not get diagnosed because I knew myself. But other people get choose can choose to um, get diagnosed for the sake of knowing and getting treatment but i didn't want to get to the treatment stage i didn't want to rely on my meds um to get better and i'm not saying that meds is a bad thing but i just said for me that was a choice i made and everyone has a choice to make and that's guaranteed but i just didn't want to because i knew myself i i would just start saying like oh i'm feeling so depressed let me just take my medication um yeah so this year 20 yeah i just decided like 
I hadn't found a job. I well, I had found a job, but again, it had been. I found the environment toxic, like just people talking down to you, not feeling enough, not getting the help I need, saying like I need mentorship, and then being told like there's no such thing as mentorship in Zambia, and having a foreign degree, and trying to adjust home has been very difficult. In the sector that I practice, and um, to a point where I just felt like I, I just wasted my whole four years at school. Um, another home situation, just you know how family dynamics are just a mess. My family is no different, and that put pressure on me because I felt like there was no one I could run to. I was just so tired because I'd prayed so much, and I felt like God wasn't helping. You know, and I felt very alone, very, very alone. So that suicide attempt, I was just ready to go and I did it. And I woke up and I, okay, God, four times I've tried to off myself. Four times I've woken up. There has to be something. I thought like, okay, three times is a charm. But four times, and it's not like I'm trying not trying to do it i really went forward with it um but four times i came out and i'm like oh good god do you have a plan for me now i'm gonna challenge you that change my life around and that's how my 2019 what year are we in 2020 yes the beginning how my so 19th january 2020 i went up to the front of my church and gave my life to Jesus again. And yes, I was baptized in 20, 2009. But believe me, it became harder than it was before that. And I was like, God, I just need you to come and get me out of this rut. And I think I was in a rut since my third year of university. I just was trying to get by. And thank God in my fourth year, I found people, more particularly a person who was willing to support me and I think that's important because a lot of these times we feel alone and the f I think it was a second attempt I had tried to disclose what I was going through with somebody and they told me it's all in your head it's just a choice depression is not real and that made me feel like maybe I'm not normal maybe these feelings are not normal maybe nobody else is feeling them that means I'm weak maybe that means there was a default when I was born like that's how I really felt like I was just alone. Because even in our culture, in African culture, not even African, I'm going to say Zambian culture, it's not normal to talk about depression. It's not normal to come out and say, I'm depressed. People are like, why are you depressed? You li live in a good house. Your mother works here. You went to the best schools. But people don't understand that depression comes from different sources, feelings of inadequacy, feelings of hopelessness, feelings of just being lost um purposeless you know and these stem from different places i feel like i was such a high achiever um high school sports teams classes and then all of a sudden after university i'm like i just don't see how that is has been to my benefit just felt like i played sports just to keep fit not like it did anything for me and that was the hardest blow because i thought like automatically these credits would transfer you know into my future because you're good in a high school means you'll be good after life after um uni life and that's not necessarily true and 
you know, I realized that why it's been so hard for me is because I placed a lot of value of who I was and what people said I was, people around me, people who I trusted. Um, even family, family can hurt you. That's another thing I learned. This, and people say the crazy things when they're upset. And those words stick longer than a kind word. They stick and they just implant themselves in your mind, in your heart. Um, so I had to really take this year. I started doing a Changes That Heal course. It's uh, by Miracle Eric and the book is by Henry McLeod, I believe. And it just challenges your thought process. And one thing I realized is that I was entitled to God's mercy. I really entitled. I thought like by me doing my part, God had to do his part. But that's not it. And that sucked so bad. But just confessing that made me realize I was being ungrateful. I was being entitled. And um, you can't be entitled to what God um he's god like you you can't be entitled it's like just basically you can't be entitled and i was entitled to what he had for me like i'm like oh god you say all these things in the bible so give them to me because i've done this but you know god gives us these things out of love out of grace and nothing else no act we can do can cause him to love us anymore or any less it just is the way it is and I had reposition where I found my value, and even when people say the horrible things to me, about me, when you go to workplace, your boss says something that just crushes your soul. I just have I just started thinking like you know what, God has brought me, has saved me four times from the coffin. He has something for me, and I believe that I have a strong sense of what I want in the future. But it's just. Of course, it doesn't mean that those feelings have gone. It just means like they don't give me the urge to do it as because I've got something more to fight for. I want to be able to be a mother one day and raise kids who will know what it is to be loved, um, to be supported. I think that's another thing. Your upbringing, when your parents like not telling, affirming you as much, and I guess. Not everyone needs affirmation. Well, I well shame. That's me. I needed it. I still I need it sometimes. But finding my affirmation from what the Bible says, finding affirmation from people who are spirit led. Like not everyone you list around you is going to be spirit led. Some people don't even know who God is. They just know him from the Bible, but don't have a personal relationship with him. And I think that was the beginning of everything. It's finding something to live for. For myself, because each time I try to live for somebody else, I get disappointed. You can never fulfill somebody else's expectations of you. You can only look forward to fulfilling yours, and that's something I had to work through. But like I said, it's not something I was seven. I'm turning twenty-four this year. That means I've struggled this with with this for seventeen years. But I can tell you now that I do not struggle with it anymore. There are days when I'm like, I just don't want to be alive. But to say I want to act on it, I'd be lying because I just have more to live for. There's people whose lives are waiting to be impacted by mine. There's people who are waiting to hear my story. There's people who need healing. 
there's people who need to be born. There's people who need to be loved. And just trying to believe I was put on this earth for a purpose. Um, I've been through the valley and back, that's for sure. And the best, finding a relationship with God and studying from scratch and reading the Bible for myself and not trying to believe what you are towards, like the the Bible, like in church and whatnot. I feel like those selective passages, but like the scripture is selective in the way it's preached just to convey a, a certain message that may benefit the church. But I want to read for me, how does this apply to me? How does the Israelites leaving Egypt apply to me when I'm leaving my place of captivity? When I have to pass through my Red Sea, like in front of me is the Red Sea, behind me is the um, Egyptian army. What does that mean for me? And, um, yeah, it's it, that's really been it for me. I have done the whole suicide, cutting my wrist. I've done the whole just trying to be numb. It doesn't work. I'm not numb. I'm full of love. But I just have to find the right places to pour into. Because of so many times, I those ones, those, um, somebody had a crush on back in the day. And I was heading to the dining hall. And I think those rumors circulating that I was cutting fine. And he walks up and says, is it true that you're cutting? I'm like, what do you mean? Show me your wrist. And I couldn't because I was. And he walked away. And I'm like, what does that mean for people who just try to get information from you for the sake of getting information? You know, it's such a delicate thing that when you're asking somebody about such things, be ready to receive this. It's a heavy burden. It is. But like when you just walk, somebody get the story and walk away, it's just basically like, oh, you just came to get a good story and that's it. You didn't offer any help. You didn't really care. And um, that happened many times, to be honest. And I just learned to keep it to myself. But keeping to myself is brewing and brewing until the point where I was like, I'm done. So I think that's what really helped me, just finding something to live for and just real trying to find out what that is i'm still searching some days i want to i quit my job i'm like i i deserve to be not i deserve see that's that huh, it's that um um what's the word again it's just gone entitlement but like i want to be more i'm more willing to work for more so i'm just taking each day as it comes and learning to love me more from who i am sensitive yeah i'm sensitive so what if i get offended very quickly but best believe when somebody's having a hard day they'll come to me because i can empathize with them you know and seeing your strengths and um just learning to love me and unveil what god has for me and that's what it is finding purpose whether it's in god for you or whether it's in humanitarian work whatever you find purpose in and let your life be for that because basically suicide is like you don't have to live your life how about trying to live it for something else something more purposeful that's how i saw it thank you again so much this was still so hard for me to hear it brought up many themes themes of grief and loneliness that are serious 
but it's evident that this story is anything but somber. It's one of victory. It addresses challenging facts of life. We will never know what's going on in other people's lives. We will never truly understand what people are going through, but we can always do our best to be loving, kind, and intentional. I'm glad Chitalu is here. I'm glad she is a voice of reason and one of hope. I love that we can love on each other and we can be friends now rather than me crying over her at a funeral. I hope to dive into more preventative and healthy ways to discuss suicide and how to treat people who are struggling with those emotions in our third and final segment. And by the end of it, I hope that you will have an unbiased opinion on suicide and how to best prevent it and how to talk about it. I think Chitalu has told her truth and I don't want to add or take away from it. So this has been my time. Thank you for listening to CPA.